To the Forgecast. My name is Neil Sögren. I'm Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. And before we move on with the episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's epic sponsor is Gameco Artisan Supplies, the top place to go for your blades, steels, forge kits, and burners. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram and check out their website at www.artisansupplies.com.au to keep on top of their latest offers. All right. You want to tell us about your week, Alex? Oh, what a week. I've been hit with the worst case of the man flu I've had in literally about 15 years. It's just been phenomenal how sick I've been. Like, I can't, I mean, I'm experiencing it and I can't actually believe how ill I've been. It's just living in constant disbelief. <laughs> but <laughs> all the while, orders have been, I've been having probably the best month of my life for orders just pouring in um orders for blacksmith knives a skinning knife lots of cutlery pieces uh, a boot puller which is particularly cool which he wanted all forged no welds which is uh, a challenge if you ever want to give that a go um a logistic challenge um and also an interesting piece which just came in today which um our resident blade expert probably knows what what it is a patch knife something that you yes. don't hear about very often. Um, patch knife. you got a reenactor on your That's <laughs> you right. got a reenactor on your list. Definitely. Some sort of maybe um, Civil War maybe or actually probably pr- before that. Frontiersman. You meant Napoleonic War, something like that. Yeah, for those playing the home game, a patch knife is the small utility knife that uh, hunters or soldiers would use to actually cut out the small swatches of fabric that you would use to pad around the shot that you would then uh, push down inside of your black powder rifle. Um, They were usually attached to your little hunting satchel by a little leather sheath. Uh, I don't have to make the sheath. He's already got one. I've just got to uh, make the knife to fit it. And he was actually inspired by one of the recent blacksmith's knives that I've made. So he wants the actual integral curved handle, um, but wants it to follow the patch knife pattern, which is fairly wide and broad. Like, it's like I don't mean wide as in it's a wide knife. I mean, it's there are a lot of different designs. Yeah. Uh, he has a he has a particular style in mind, um, and I'm just going to follow what he wants, basically. Yeah, patch knives basically were just a knife that you happen to have to cut you know, to cut uh, wadding. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has a particular they, they, image they in follow mind the that he certain, wants me to match, but... Yeah, they sort of followed a certain pattern to a certain extent, but you know, they were, there was nothing that was really denoted as a patch knife. Yeah, uh, being such a utilitarian a tool, knife. it was kind of like what you had. Was, <laughs> yeah. If, was, it, was it sharp? Uh, having a nice That's point it. on it is about the only real... Uh, real helpful boon really because it's uh, easier and, to get those nice neat cuts on the fabric yeah and being really nice and thin because you mm. want to cut through cloth yeah that's right so that's going to be an interesting little project um uh, but probably the most interesting project that i've been working on is an apocalyptic spoon um uh, somebody who has a, a a relative who um keeps bending spoons by eating ice cream directly out of the tub 
and so he wanted a uh, right. to get it. He, he wants to gift this person a forged spring steel spoon that will <laughs> will be able to withstand the rigorous torture of ice cream, um, which is a hilarious idea for a gift. And by the time um, he, this episode comes out, he will have already received the gift. So I can I can say it just in case there's anybody listening. But um, he wants it out of you know properly spring tempered spring steel. Just so that it will uh, bend rather than break. You should you should totally forge a tiny like crowbar end on one end, just to you know like <laughs> denote how strong the spoon is. That's right. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a hilarious project and one I'm actually really looking forward to finishing. I've forged out the preform for it, but I just didn't have the energy to keep going. So uh, the rest of yeah. it's going to happen soon. It's it's going to be a chunky spoon, and I'm very much looking forward to finishing mm. it. Uh, what what about you, Nels? You've had an interesting week. Mm, yes, I have. Since uh, the last episode, I have been working on my Forge Press build. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Sam, on my Instagram story. I was, I was on your live stream. I actually commented on it. Yeah, yeah, you were. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had a little live stream showing off the idea. I, I have been working a lot on it. The problem is that the angle grinder motor isn't strong enough. Uh, mm. It doesn't, as soon as, I, I tested to, uh, I took a Coca-Cola can and uh, put it on there and it smushed it and it was awesome. But then I took an a iron um, uh, pipe, put it under, it bent it a lot, but it didn't uh, have the enough power mm-hmm. to continue pumping. So I've been thinking, I mean, the, tech, the, 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 the mechanics works. That's the fun thing, that, that it works. However, I think I need a bigger motor and a slower or a motor longer perhaps, lever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, angle grinders are built for speed, not really for torque. You know, yeah. they're, so, they're so, easily, uh, really easy to stop. I have been looking around for uh, electric motors, but uh, then again, I happened to find a hydraulic uh, system on uh, one of the auction pages in Sweden. So. I might buy a hydraulic system instead and just put, make it a real hydraulic press if if nice. I can get it for that cheap. But if I don't, I'll just continue with this idea. And I'm... So that has been... I haven't forged anything this past week, but I have been working on my new workshop. So today I had, had a small live stream. Unfortunately, that didn't stay on my Instagram. That's very strange. They usually stay on my story so other people can see it afterwards, but it didn't, so... Uh, I have been doing a lot of masonry work this week uh, for the frame of the house, basically, for the workshop. So that's what I've been doing. And next up is uh, pouring the concrete floor, which we are mm. probably going to do next week. Always a big and job. After that, yeah, it's a big job, but we're we're renting a truck that comes with the concrete. So it's oh, that's going, good it's doing going a pour. Go, yeah, yeah it's going to be done in an hour, probably. Yeah. So, so when, when cool. we're... But but it's like it costs a lot per minute that 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 truck. So we need to like have everything fixed before he comes, so or her comes, or she comes, uh, and uh, then it's just straight to the task, and then it's done. So so then it's time for the roof and everything like that. So, but I have a carpenter axe that I'm working on. Uh, I have made a home uh, um, a website for myself, which Alex has helped me with the English translations a little bit. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so. Um, I'm working on that, so I'm really working on like fixing my products. So um, I have like a base of products that I'm 
going that I can have like a, you know, like a, a base of products basically, which I yeah, can so, uh, yeah, stock. So a stock. Sorry, yes. <laughs> That's basically been my week, very busy and uh, stuff like that. So what about you, Sam? Uh, yeah, I mean, seeing as I missed the last uh, Forgecast episode, uh, I you know have got two weeks of uh, stuff that's happened. Um, I actually now my uh, my striker Mick has actually moved in to uh, my house. So um, what? Yeah, <laughs> Sam got a new power hammer. Yeah, that's it. I got a new live-in power hammer. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, a whole bunch of stuff happened uh, in his life that. Uh, Led to him needing a, a place to stay, and uh, we, we uh, decided that we had room for him here, so he's now living with us. Uh, but that's that's why I didn't make last uh, week's episode, because I was uh, you know kind of dealing with that, moving him in. It happened that day <laughs> that we were supposed to record, so... Um, mm. But, yeah, other than that, it's been uh, pretty busy over here. I've been doing my series on heat treatment and steel... Uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, investigate like you're exploring the uh, the subject of heat treatment and quenching, tempering, that kind of thing. My most recent video, yeah, my most recent video that uh, before this recording was the uh, video on what not to do when quenching blades and how to fix it if you do accidentally stuff up a blade. I had a lot of fun with that episode because it meant that I got to break things on purpose, which is always it's always good fun. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so that was, that was pretty good. Um, and then actually today, uh, the video is coming out tomorrow. I was doing a collaboration with Peter Collins, who is a, uh, fellow YouTuber from, uh, YouTuber Blacksmith from WA. He's the guy who actually sent me the rasp that I made my falchion out of. Um, he came up and I did uh, an instructional on how to sharpen. Uh, and a little bit on how to grind stuff because he'd uh, recently forged a knife that was about as sharp as a bowling ball. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that video will be out tomorrow or you know a week ago when this episode comes out, um, and that'll be out on sharpening by hand and by machine. Um, <clears throat> other than that, uh, I've recently started planning the build of my own hydraulic press. Um, I'm going a little bit of a different route to Nils uh, in that I've uh, been working together with my father to retrofit a log press or a log chopping press. A 20 ton nice. Log. Yeah, 20 ton wow. log press. You found, you found a 20 ton? Yeah. Wow. Found a 20 ton, yeah. Where? How? <laughs> <laughs> eBay. <laughs> I've been looking like crazy, they, guys. They go up to 65 ton, actually. Um, but, 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 but it was eBay in Australia, right? Yeah, eBay in Australia. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, originally we were going to buy an Anyang press. Uh, my, my father, um, wonderfully, has decided that he wanted to sponsor my, my business. Uh, he's seen where the, the business is headed with all the stuff that I'm making, the guillotine tools and that kind of stuff. And he figured the best way to help me would be to make a, log pr uh, a uh, hydraulic press. And given with my injury recently, I haven't been able to swing a hammer. He figured that it was more important that we get it done sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, but we were kind of kind of limited on um, on expenses, so we've decided to build most of it uh, and kind of harvest the parts from the log press rather than buying an Anyang press outright. Because although the Anyang press would be way better, like than anything we can build, 
Uh, it's just way outside our price range at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be hopefully building that Saturday afternoon after my live stream. Um, oh. We're going to be, I'll be heading over to his place and hopefully in a week's time or so, I will have a hydraulic press set up in my workshop. So I am so bloody jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest. Um, it's, I'm happy it's for some- you. Yeah, it's, it's something that I've been looking forward to for a long time, is uh, finally getting mm. some mechanical forging going in my shop. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't I love mean, a with, with multiplier? Mick, well, that's it. With Mick living here, it's great. But unfortunately, even even with him living in the suburbs as I do, uh, Mick swings a, pa- a sledgehammer hard enough that he shakes the floor of house, uh, houses three houses away. <laughs> <laughs> the man's a beast. Um, so the, uh, hydraulic press will allow me to forge in a little bit less, <laughs> a little bit less sound. Uh, but we have some big projects. I am actually planning on getting back into the forge next week. My back is healed to the point where I'm comfortable, uh, at least directing, uh, a striker rather than swinging a hammer. So, uh, Mick and I are going to work on a big project that I've, we, we started working on four weeks ago and it, we, it, I've been chafing at the bit to get it finished. So... That will be ne- one of next week's videos, hopefully. Oh, I'm happy for I'm happy for you, man. Awesome to uh, Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll it'll already be out, hopefully. So that's going to be a Japanese dog's head sledge uh, hammer, nice. and it's a seven and a half kilo hammer. <laughs> Ooh, chunky. Six, sixteen and a yeah, sixteen and a half pounds. Um, <laughs> nice big hum- hunk of steel. So, uh, yeah, right. that's what we're going to be working on next week. Epic. Well, I th- I'm looking forward to hear about it. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. Um, the video should be out Wednesday, hopefully, if all goes plan. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you're done with your week? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was about to say, we're getting into the next, next segment, which... Uh, yeah. Yeah, before we move on to the new segment, we should... Oh, I have a cat that wants to get into the room. <laughs> uh, she's like clawing her way in, but she's so irritating, so I can't have and her. Then, and this oh, week's okay. guest is Nils's cat. <laughs> sorry, I had Nick in here a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but... but Everyone's um, got pets but me. <laughs> All right, so... We have some emails that we need to answer before we move on to our new segment. Or new and new, but our newest segment. So, first email we got is from Steve Ellis. He writes, Please do another show, another episode on the find with Nils. It would be great to hear his perspective on the items in the box as well as Alex's Sam's input. Love yeah. the episode and keep, keep them coming. Thanks, Steve Ellis. Red Snake Forge on Instagram. Oh, cool. He's probably talking about the Mastermere find. Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe he is. Especially yes. since it was found in your home country. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, but we could probably take that on another time because I haven't yeah, talked much about it. So. Yeah, in, in response, we will definitely do a, another video on that. Nils just has to do his research first. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So the next one is from Stephen Carvington. He writes, so I live in Georgia and I just started blacksmithing. In Georgia, for a good portion of the year, it's really, really hot. And currently, I currently don't have any, an indoor area to forge, so I'm forging outside. I was wondering what advice you guys might have for combating the intense heat. Love listening to you guys. Thanks, Steven. 
Good question, right. Stephen. I forge in the yeah, heat I... all the time. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, Nils, Nils forges in, in, like, Australian winter during summer. <laughs> I used to forge in the in the heat. Um and what I actually found was um a you know, big ass fan helps, but um a big factor that it doesn't make you feel cooler necessarily, but staying hydrated is actually affecting your ability to withstand the heat. And the more hydrated mm. you stay, the better you will handle the heat. And it's very easy to forget because there's so much focus required with blacksmithing. Uh really try and make it an interval thing. To drink water. Yeah. <laughs> every every heat, you should have a mouthful of water, even if even if you don't feel like it. Mm. Just every time you stick the steel back in the fire before you do anything else, grab a glass of water. Hey, take a chug. Um, the other thing is, obviously, you want to use sunscreen if you're forging out in the sun uh, because you don't want to get heat stroke. Uh, I would suggest erecting some form of shade. Um, when I forge for like many medieval reenactment events and stuff like that, obviously I'm out in the, the elements there. I actually made a four poster, uh, kind of lean to style, uh, shade sail that, um, I actually use an oil cloth, uh, as a covering and, um, it's about two and a half meters high. So it's quite, quite high away from the, the charcoal sparks, charcoal sparks and stuff like that. But uh, forging in the shade is super necessary. You can get away with using a tarp or something like that. Just make sure it's you're significantly high away from the heat of the forge, whatever forge you're using. And of I course, the, yeah. Of course, the yep. best way to stay cool is to listen to the forge cast. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I wanted to say also that that I have a. A lot of experience building the, this uh, past year, and one thing that I was thinking about doing, since I'm also standing outside, since I I'm not renting my workshop anymore, since I'm building a new one. So I, I was thinking before uh, before we started the masonry work that I should just build, you know, like a, a small roof over the place where I'm standing, so I get protected yeah. from the sun. It's actually quite to, uh... simple to do. You basically just need four pillars and uh, make some kind of a roof with the whatever you can find basically it, it don't have to be pretty but but something just to protect you from the sun the other thing that yeah. i wanted to say is you could do the same thing having the ninja bandana with that's wet <laughs> that's true as well yeah, yeah wet a towel and wear a, like a, a bandana yeah and i mean that's it even even a wide brimmed hat will will do more than nothing um because at the end of the day you you know standing out in the heat's never a good idea for uh, for long periods of time especially uncovered the temptation is to wear nothing but like a singlet and shorts. Uh, I would suggest wearing a long sleeve shirt because even though you're going to be hotter, you're going to feel hotter. You're going to be less uh, sunburned. Uh, yeah. And yeah. take that. Take that from the uh, from the Australian miners who are required to wear long sleeve shirts, long long pants, uh, <laughs> and giant wide brimmed caps and stuff like that to to protect them from the sun because they worked in work in. Regularly work in 44 degree uh, Celsius heat um, up in the mines. So yeah, definitely keep yourself covered. And uh, if you start feeling wavy on your feet, stop forging and go inside. Yeah. You know? All right. So we're going to move on to our new segment, Inspiration of the Week. Yeah. So who want to take the who want to take the ball first? I'll go for it. Yeah. I've um I've actually been catching up a lot on the work of Craig Turnker, 
who is uh, a member of the team World Champion Blacksmiths on YouTube. Um, the inspiration that I've been getting from his work is simply the cleanliness and the speed at which he works um, is phenomenal. The it, Not only is he producing absolutely beautiful things, some of the tongs that he is able to make are just visually appealing. They look comfortable to hold. But the speed that he is able to take raw stock and turn them into something that beautiful and is just mind-bendingly amazing. And to watch it is hypnotic simply because, um, and this is something that any beginner blacksmith or anybody that's sort of self-taught and still doing it will find out. If you look back on your day, there are a lot of hammer strikes that didn't need to happen or hammer strikes that weren't quite as effective as they could have been or moved as much steel as they could have. When you watch Craig Turnka hammer steel, every single strike is deliberate. Every single strike moves the steel exactly the amount that it was supposed to move. There is not a single wasted blow. And I've been just finding so much inspiration in that, especially with the amount of work that's been coming through my forge since um, moving to do this full time. Um, every strike matters now. Every minute that I spend in there matters. And the faster I can do work that is of quality, and you know visual appeal the more money i'm able to make in my living and to see somebody do it with such perfection has been uh, a huge inspiration for me uh what about you sam i was i was gonna say um before we jump off craig was actually one of the people that i first started watching back in the day because i was learning i learned a little bit from my uncle who's a farrier and uh, craig trinker is a, a world champion blacksmith but he's also a farrier and uh, most of his blacksmithing is farrier-oriented. Mm. And uh, I actually learned a lot of the body mechanics of my hammer technique from Craig. Mm. And um, if you ever watch a video of him... Uh, he was on Forged in Fire, actually. I can't remember which season he was on. But um, if you ever watch him uh, forge back from the anvil, you watch his body. He, he literally bounces with every hammer blow. It's crazy the amount of energy he, he uh, puts into his hammer. But yeah, no, he is a fantastic smith. And if you're looking to forge tongs and stuff like that, it's Craig is definitely a man you want to have a look at. But um, for my inspiration this week, I uh, decided to go back to my roots again um, in thanking another ABS master smith. And uh, he has been an inspiration this week in watching his series on building a, uh, a Bowie knife. Uh, Kyle Royer, who has previously been on the show... Um, uh, in that episode, I did uh, outline that he was one of the first people I ever started following when I started wanting to bladesmith. And he has been a massive inspiration throughout my bladesmithing career, always, um, you know, kind of pushing the limits of cleanliness. Uh, the man is is a freak. Uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, he, he, he's a fantastic smith. Um and he's just a, a wonderful dude. Uh, as we found out uh, interviewing him, he, he's always happy to answer questions. And um, yeah, his series uh, on building a Bowie knife, he has been giving away a lot of details um, that you know a lot of people aren't willing to share from the knife making community. Uh, and he, I mean, he's making this series as part of a DVD set and an online course that he's doing, but he's also giving away parts of this course for free on his YouTube channel. And the information is just amazing you're like you know for, for even for a guy like me who's been in bladesmithing for a while and thought he knew everything about it just there's just little hints that he's throwing out there that are just fantastically useful so um 
I, yeah, I'm, my inspiration for this week is definitely Kyle, and it's, it is many weeks, but uh, <laughs> this week in particular, uh, it's been great. He also did um, recently mention the Forgecast in one of his videos, so... Um, yeah, that was you know, cool. He is, he is, he is oh, a listener. He yes, he did. Uh, he, he shouted us out, so thank you for the shout-out, Kyle, when you listen to this episode, and thank you very much for sharing everything that you know. Uh, and we I love look you. Forward... <laughs> yeah. I look yes, we forward love you, to and we want you back on. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to have you back on. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, no, uh, Fantastic Smith. And if you haven't checked him out, please check out Kyle Royer Knives on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, he has some fantastic content. How about you, Nils? Who are you inspired by this week? My inspiration this week comes from my great, 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 great friend, Derek Melton. I love that guy so much. He has been a guest on the episode, uh, on the on the Forge, uh, yeah, Forge cast as well. And I was sad I missed a, that episode. A, yeah, he's also a Forged in Fire champion. He is like, he's like the guy you know. If you want to get a full three sixty view of a blacksmith shop and a blacksmith's life, he's the guy you need to check out on Instagram. He, he, he and, and and the fun thing is, I started following him. I mean, he already had a, had a power hammer and a hydraulic press, but he's it, like he's discovering new things, and you can do that with him on Instagram. For example, he he had his old hydraulic press that he built uh, himself from a ball jack as, as as well, but but that was an air compressed one. And now he he bought a new one, which is super sweet. And then he also bought a tire hammer, and you know he, everything he's doing is like in line with what I want. So I'm getting so much inspiration from him acquiring those things. And also, just because he's a buddy of mine, so I, I like watching his stuff. And, <laughs> and I mean, just go and check out. He's enjoyable. It's, it's enjoyable to follow him because you get to follow along a journey. It really feels like that and, uh, in his business. And it's super nice. And he, everything from like big power hammers to small iron crosses or, you know, like hardy tool. He makes uh, hammers and everything. So... Just check him out. He also has pretty nice T-shirts. <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> yeah, he's just a super sweet guy, and he's been there for me when I, there was, uh, uh, I've been having questions about stuff, and he like took time of his day to to Skype with me to answer my questions, and he's been such a nice guy, and I really really appreciate him, and I just wanted the world to know. So, <laughs> thank you, Derek, for for the inspiration. I love you, man. Awesome. Yeah, so moving on, guys, to the next segment, which is Tool Time. Tool Time. Tool Time. (laughs) Alex, you want to take this off? Yeah, Tool Time this week is brought to you by the Marking Board. Now, Marking Boards come in all (laughs) different uh, shapes and forms, and basically it is the um, place in your forge, it might be a chalkboard, it might be a bit of steel plate, it might be a forge table. If you're Roy Adams, it might be the uh, vent chute above your, the, the, you know, the flue above your forge. But it's a large piece of something that you use a bit of chalk or marking pen to draw a life-size version of the thing that you are planning to forge so that you can hold your work up against it as you're working in order to make sure that it matches the shape that you're intending and the dimensions that you're intending. So let's just say somebody has uh, custom commissioned a knife from you and you're doing the preform. You want to know, is it reaching the length requirements that you need? You can hold it up against this life-size sketch that you may have done using a tape measure on the marking board 
um, and see whether or not it's actually fitting. Um, I've actually mm-hmm. been having to um, fabricate one for my workshop because normally I don't really get things uh, requests for things that are very measurement specific. But I've had somebody, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, order a boot puller. A boot puller is a very specifically sized tool that uh, really needs to to uh, be forged out correctly. Otherwise, it simply won't work. And a boot puller that doesn't work is just a paperweight. So. Um, it really, uh, it made Both. me start looking at different designs that people have had in their workshops and some of my inspiration, like Roy Adams. And, uh, yeah, there's all those manner of ways to do it. For those uh, listeners who don't know uh, what a boot pillar is, could you explain that for them? Yeah, when you live in the country, like me, you uh, get very, very muddy boots, and pulling them off <laughs> at the end of the day is, uh, you, you know, you have to bend down and get your hands filthy boot puller is a little seesaw-like contraption with a U-shape in one end and a foot pedal on the other end. So you put the heel of your boot in it, uh, in the U-shaped end, and stand on the other side, and then you pull your boot off with it. And that way you don't need to touch your filthy boots. Uh, they just pop right off. Yeah, they're quite commonly seen in um, as bugs. Uh, I've seen a lot of them that are like cast iron, uh, yeah. like beetles. Mm, the, and you know, the, I, we have the horns on the front, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the stag beetles, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, because when, when you brought this up for tool time, I, I was sitting there thinking, I've never used a marking board. But then I realized that I'd made myself a liar, because um, actually in my Turkish uh, saddle axe video, uh, which I did for my YouTube channel, I actually did mark out the uh, exact dimensions of the axe, because I was trying to recreate a historic piece. And it's true that I do. Uh, we do use marking out for a lot of the things we do, um, and I mean sometimes it's not even a board. Alex Steele and Will Stelter, back when Alec was in um, Barker Street Forge, when they made the uh, cutlass, they you actually do it on the used floor, the concrete. They? Yeah, they used the concrete floor of his shop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to draw it to mark out the the uh, the the piece. So it, it is a very important part of the the blacksmith shop, and I think that everyone should have a space designated for drawing designs or even uh you know such as guys that make a lot of damascus i noticed that a lot of them will mark uh how many times they folded uh, a billet uh on yeah. their flu or something like that they'll make a tally to to give them an idea of the layer count uh it's really useful to have a spot and, and normally it's a piece of steel with some chalk or something like that you're normally trying to shy away from like a whiteboard or something where you can burn something because you're going to be probably putting hot steel up against it. And if you do that with a whiteboard, you're going to set fire to it. Um, but yeah, normally a piece of steel and a piece of chalk is a perfect way to have, uh, not even just for marking out work, but for keeping track of layer counts or keeping track of weights or something like that is a really good uh, thing to have in the workshop. And, you know, it's, it's a generally a good thing to have as a craftsman in any craft. Mm. Um, yeah i wanted to uh, mention uh, my going about this thing i started out i have a work table uh in it's like it's not steel but it's like uh uh sh- sheet metal what, what what you know the thin plating yeah so so yeah. the fir- first time i i made my forest axe design i i drew drew that <clears throat> on that there and also the Viking design under, and I thought, hey, I can just have all the designs on this table, and I can just go uh, between. But then again, it started raining, and uh, you know, it disappeared a little bit. So what I did was I actually made uh, out of sheet metal. Uh, so yeah. I have like a, a what's it called? Um, a template. Yeah, template. Yes. 
So that's that's how I go about doing like my my regular stuff that I do. But but for when when you're just maybe you just need some kind of length, um, mm. you know, to remember. Then then it's a very good idea to like have a piece of steel or a table you can draw on. I in fact, John. John Switzer at Black Bear Forge actually just uses the face of his anvil most of the time. He grabs his uh, chalk marking pen and, and puts the marks right on there. And that's something that I've done quite often, but it's only now that I'm starting to work on much larger pieces that the surface of an anvil is just not big enough. Yeah, and if we if we talk to guys like Roy Adams and uh, Niels Provost from... Um, uh Neil's Provost's channel. He doesn't have. He doesn't have. A, he doesn't have a business name at the moment. Um, but when they make scroll work gates and stuff like that, scroll work um, in general, a lot of the mm. time they'll draw the scroll work on the floor. They'll draw the entire, um, you know, like Peace. railing or the entire door or whatever they're trying to make on the ground and bend the scroll work to match that because obviously. Freeforming scroll works relatively easy, but freeforming in multiple scrolls to then all fit together to make a certain railing size is ridiculously difficult. So having that pre-drawn kind of, you know, reference where you can actually sit the scroll on the the piece of chalk and know that it's perfect um, is massively improving. Like, you know, for for bladesmiths and, and tool makers, it's going to be less useful um, than for the guys who are doing the, the kind of industrial style or you know architectural style blacksmithing. Artistic uh, not to blacksmithing. say it's not useful at all. Yeah, artistic blacksmithing. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just, uh, I mean, making templates is incredibly useful if you're going to make a lot of one thing. Mm. Um, you know, if, if I have to go into production knives, which I may do one day, um, I'll probably make knife templates where I forge to within a certain, yeah. you know, area of the template and then grind from there. Um, but yeah, the, the marking board, as Neil said, for one-off things, especially if you're trying to be very accurate, like the boot puller that Alex has to make, or um, for the axe that I made on my channel, it was only I was only ever going to make one of them um, to that exact detail, but I needed a reference, and I wasn't going to spend the time to make a template for that. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at, for example, Liam Hoffman also has templates, but the thing that I am, uh, I, I, I am um, in total agreement with him about... He has templates for the edges because yeah. almost every time you forge an axe, it's not going to come out exactly the same way as the other one. So you take it and you like uh, you need to compromise a little bit on the template, but but it's there as a guide basically to have it almost yeah. the same as, as your old one. If you look at my my work, you can see they they look the same, but if you compare them. Uh, Side by side, they're not going to look the same, basically. It's very rare in blacksmithing where you need exact precision. It's usually more or less precision. Yeah, pretty much. We we make things to fit other things a lot of the time. Mm. You know, we're not machinists. (laughs) Exactly. Although there are some of us who are blacksmiths. Yeah, there are blacksmiths who are machinists as well. That's, you know... (laughs) We know some people. (laughs) We should should move on to our main topic... um, yeah, Which... uh, before that, Alex, uh, before that, I wanted to just take a small, small moment before, uh, uh, because I'm going to forget it otherwise, if it's okay with you guys. <laughs> I wanted to welcome Canada to the fourth place uh, on our top country uh, place. Wow, so Canada. A big warm applause oh, to, to Canada. Canada. <laughs> Golf clap. Thank you very much. So Canada, I mean, it's not, it's not uh, like it's... Uh, 
but I mean, from the four, a fifth place, it's it's a huge step up. So, seven point sixty four, sixty seven percent of our total listeners are from Canada, and that's awesome. You're almost, you're, you're <laughs> almost. Uh, at the, the third place is Sweden, so you're very close to my home country. Uh, you can do it, Canada. Percent, so <laughs> you can do it. So uh, you can do it, Canada. <laughs> so, so yeah. For those who, uh, I don't know if you're interested in that, but, but I, I just wanted to take uh, a moment to thank Canada for listening. So thank you to all our listeners from Canada from, by joining us in this quest. Absolutely. Thank so, you very much for joining moving us. moving on to the main topic, uh, Alex. Yeah, so I had the, uh, um, we've been getting so much um, wonderful feedback on the show and a lot of our listeners are beginners. And they like our show because we give insightful tips and uh, you know, process explanations and uh, deep level uh, blacksmithing and knife making information. And one of the things that has been a regular occurrence for me, because I'm a person who likes to teach things to myself, and in every field, the blacksmithing included, I've always had these aha moments, little moments of clarity where something that I've been struggling with for a long time has been shown to me in the right way or explained to me correctly. And all of a sudden, it's just this thing that I've been struggling with for ages becomes super easy for me. And I thought we could uh, pick a thing each that we have had in blacksmithing where that has happened for us. Um and usually it's going to be something from your early days, but sometimes you know it's it's not nothing shameful about it happening recently either. Um, but one of the th- I figured I'd may as well start now. I'm talking, but um, in my early days of blacksmithing, I had a lot of trouble drawing neat tapers. It was a a real problem for me. I tried everything, and I'd get cold shuts, or the the work would fall apart, or I'd burn it, or I'd take way too many heats. Uh, these days I can do a. a you know, 12 mil square stock turned into a pointed taper in one heat. But back then, I'm talking 12, 15 heats to get a nice even taper. And even then, I would have to clean it up with a file afterwards because it was so messy. Until one day, my mentor taught me that, um, he, he said, well, let me just watch you do it for a while. I want you to just sit here and draw tapers on these like 10 bits of stock. And I'm going to watch you do it. And I'm going to see what you're doing wrong. Because uh, I was lifting it, I was angling the piece, I was holding it at the edge of the anvil, I was doing everything that I thought you were supposed to do, but the one thing he told me that I wasn't doing was to skip my hammer across the steel instead of hitting directly down on it. I'd always been hitting down, up, down, up, down, whereas as soon as he got me to, he called it dragging the hammer, which doesn't quite describe what the action is. Think of it like a skipping a stone across water. You're not just moving the hammer down towards the work, you're also moving it off the face of the anvil at the same time. I always called it a brushing stroke. Yeah, it's kind of like (laughs) that. And as soon as he showed me that and I started doing it, not only was I doing clean tapers, I was doing fast tapers. I was doing moving the steel and doing it really super neat and clean and easy in one or two heats, and nowadays I just do it in one. It's just because of, you know, I got the muscle memory for sort of skipping the hammer across at an angle. Um, and it was, I, I figured I'd share that and because it, it was a huge moment for me and, and change because I do artistic blacksmithing, so a lot of tapers. Every day I'm tapering. <laughs> <laughs> so, most, you know, most blacksmiths have that experience. Yeah, that's right. So it's um, it's a huge even knife makers. If you're actually forging 
knives from round stock, for example, the first step is that you taper the end of that round stock. It's a, it's a thing that you've got to do a lot in blacksmithing. It's one of the most common things. And to have that click moment and then be able to do it so well because of one small change, um, it was a, a huge moment for me. So hopefully that description, I know it's very difficult without a visual aid to actually describe what I'm talking about, but hopefully that is, uh, is clear to any listeners that are also struggling with tapers um, to, to maybe help them in their work as well. But uh, what about you, Nils? Have you had a, a, a moment of clarity in your work? Yeah, it might. It, it was like uh, starting uh, forging axes, which I really f- was fond of. Uh, I started doing the the forge welded uh, eye, which is basically you take a flat stock and you like uh, bend it to form the eye. If you watch um, bl- uh, bl- Black Bear Forge uh, video, he he does that, and it was a very popular video. Mm. It's a way to to forge axes, but if you're not super, I mean, that forge weld is very hard. It's much harder than forging in an end bit. Uh, and uh, if you want to start having more production and be safe, it was like, I, st- I, I, I did that all the time. And I struggled with it and it didn't come out just as I wanted it. And it didn't have the shape that I wanted. And I couldn't, you know, it just didn't suit my way of forging. And then I tried having a solid piece of my steel and just drifting the eye and punching and drifting the eye and it was like ah oh, so this is the way i'm going to do it in the future and i'm still forge welding the end bit don't get me wrong but, but that was like it was so much more uh, suiting my way of forging so so that was a moment of clarity for me just i mean not none of them are like are wrong or right you can do them both ways but but something that really suits your way of forging that that's basically what it was like finding something that works for you well every every so, blacksmith has their brand their style and that that you found your style by doing that yes exactly and it and the axes came out exactly how i first imagined them coming out uh, it was so hard for me to like like um imagine how how big the eye was going to be when i folded it and it was just not for me. It's a more of a traditional way of doing it, and a lot of Swedish blacksmiths do it still. Uh, and I huge respect for that. It's nothing wrong with that. It's more correct if you're going to look at the traditions of the our country and uh, all the other countries, perhaps. But but uh, but but it it was like something that you know you find this glove and it works. It's the right size, and that's how it felt for me. Like finding the way to forge axes and which like inspired me to make more access and now I have a product line of them. So that's basically some a clicking moment for me. And I do have another one if uh, we don't uh, if you guys want to listen but but um always willing to hear more. Stamps. Yeah, go right, ahead. I'll just take it I'll just take it quickly. Uh you know I, I I told as I told you earlier I've been working on a forging press and now uh it seems like the motor is too weak but before I knew that the motor was too weak <laughs> I was thinking about how should I make the pumping system mechanic on the on the hydraulic press. Like I have this hydraulic bottle jack press, and um, I need something to pump it for me. And you know, figuring out the mechanics and how to weld it together. I was like, I, I saw a guy on YouTube who had like he had made a bottle jack, um, like you know, a workshop press, not a forging press, but a workshop press. You know, 
the difference is like it goes slower and you're bending or straightening out metal under it basically that's what you do and um, I saw him making it but I uh, but it was like way too clumsy and it took a lot of uh, things that I didn't have so I, so I, uh, I'm rambling and I'm losing myself in the ramble I'm I'm noticing but you know the clicking thing was when I just realized how should the mechanics work to pump it and um, I I can't describe it with with words I just realized but but um, I'll show you some pictures on my Instagram next week. I'm I'm sorry. I'll put it on the Forgecast Instagram. Sorry, I'm <laughs> rambling and destroying this topic. But I'll show you and I'll take it on the on the Forgecast Instagram. So, sorry, Sam, you take over. Please. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you must keep talking. <laughs> yeah, th- thank thank you for your concise explanation of that uh, that inspiration. I I completely understand uh, where you were coming from with that. <laughs> no i actually do understand where you're coming from with that and uh yeah it, it is it's a dog leg it's a it's a it's a dog leg jack it's basically you know a, a differential for a motor but you know as we said nils will put that on the Forgecast uh instagram um my my inspiration or my my aha moment i've had so many that it's actually really hard to nail down and none of them have been, you know, kind of mind-blowing, uh, unfortunately. You know, like, so, or they've always kind of been like, a, I've already been doing something and someone's just given me a better way to do it. Mm. But I think the one that was most beneficial for me was uh, a name that pretty much every knife maker should be familiar with, and if they're not, shame on them, uh, <laughs> is uh, Nick Wheeler. Um... <clears throat> Now, Nick Wheeler, um, he's, he's not as prolific now as he was back when I started, but he has a, a channel on YouTube, uh, and he goes into, uh, probably too much detail on how to make top of the line knives. And he is famous for making jigs for literally everything. <laughs> you know, Nick, Nick Wheeler is the kind of guy that will want to be so perfect that he will make six jigs to make a jig that makes a jig that makes the final piece. <laughs> um, and one of, one of the, the, the thing was that it was none of his jigs or anything like that that really got me. It was the hand sanding. He was one of the first people I ever came across that did an actual in-depth tutorial on how to hand sand a knife. Um, there, there are a lot of guys out there who were making videos on making knives and there are a lot of them that were hand sanding stuff. But no one was really going into how it's done or how to do it well. And Nick Wheel actually took the time. He made a 15 or 20 minute video on just hand sanding and how he approaches it. And uh, one of the things that got me was the idea of sanding at 30 degrees to the axis of the blade. Right? So if you're looking down the line of the blade from the point to the tang, instead of sanding straight back and forth with each progressive grit, you would sand at 30 degrees or, you know, 45 degrees along the blade's axis in each direction with the progressing grit. So the first grit, say 180, you would forge at 45 degrees to the left. And then on the 240 grit, you would go 45 degrees to the right, which would mean that they'd be directly opposing one another and that the 180 grit scratches would be very visible underneath the 240 grit. Because one of the problems I was suffering as a beginner knife maker was that I was sanding backwards and forwards with all of my grits. And I'd get up to 2,000 grit and it would still be streaky and have all of these really weird, you know, scratch marks in it 
from the previous grits. And I'd have to jump back down a bunch and sand more and then go back up. And I was constantly chasing these bigger grit scratches and never getting a really truly clean hand sanded finish. And so after I watched Nick Wheeler's video on how to hand sand, I was like, oh, duh, that's so easy. But well, I just, <laughs> it just didn't occur to me. And so after that, I, I, that's all I do now is, you know, I sand at, and it doesn't matter what I'm sanding. It doesn't matter if it's a, a blade or a guard or anything. I will always sand in one direction with one grit, and then the next grit will go over the top in the exact opposite direction. And he always pushed, he always pushed light. You need as much light as you can get on the subject, and mo movable light. I actually found these IKEA lamps, which uh, the guys will be able to see on the, uh, on the video. But, um... Sweden! Yeah, <laughs> Sweden, yeah. Um, anyway, they're like $15, but it's got this super long, maneuverable arm. And wherever I move it, it stays. Um, and this has been unbelievably helpful in always positioning the light to be able to see the scratches that I'm looking at uh, mm. on the blade. And that's how I managed to get such clean finishes, which, you know, if you look at some of the blades that I've made in the past, you know, two, three years, uh, I've always prided myself on getting a really clean, consistent, uh, hand-sanded finish. And that's thanks to Nick's, uh, Nick's advice, so... Um, yeah, I highly suggest you go check out Nick Wheeler as well. But, um, that was my aha moment was, was that whole, you know, sanding, uh, uh, in opposite directions for his finer grits. It just made sense. Mm. <laughs> I felt so dumb afterwards. <laughs> That's why there is yeah, no so, knife like a Sam Towns knife. Eh, well, there are better knives than a Sam Towns knife, but, uh, <laughs> uh I'm getting we run there. Rings I'm getting around there. me. Oh, well, you know, that's, that's true. I actually, now that you've said a patch knife, I'm going to have to make a bunch of patch knives. <laughs> I, I, I'm Not for a my huge... customer though. No poaching customers. No, 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 no. I, no <laughs> one poaches customers, but no, the, the big thing is that I'm a massive fan of the Napoleonic era. I, I love mm. the Napoleonic era, um, especially, you know, the, the Napoleonic war. And uh, I'm a huge black powder fan. Um, mm. it, my, my favorite rifle of all time is the Baker rifle. Which was the first ever service rifle put in, pressed into service by the English military. Um, you know, back in the time when muskets were the general run, and uh, a patch knife would be amazing. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Um, awesome. Gonna have to make a few. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's about yeah, it. So, really. I mean, we've come up on an hour of the show, and it's time to sing our night night song. Yeah. Yes, uh, I wanted to. Uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, of any interest, but maybe we should tell our listeners uh, about. I mean, I told I told you earlier that Canada was top four country on our uh, listening to our show. You want to know the top three as well? Well, we know that number two, uh, number three is Sweden. Number three is Sweden. Number two is the United States. Wait, wait. Nope. Oh, no? is Australia number two? I'll I'll give you the 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 list. So in first in fourth place, Canada with seven point sixty seven percent of the listenership. In the third place is the Kingdom of Sweden with eight point fifty eight percent. So Canada, you're really close. Get your friends together and, <laughs> and invade Sweden. Uh, in the second place, we have the Commonwealth of Australia on 
24.35%, which is really a <laughs> big jump from Sweden. And in the first place, we have the United States of America with 51% of the listenership. <laughs> so, well, that's that's majority voting right there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. thank you to our US uh, followers, uh, and I can I can think of a few people I know who listen to every episode. So, thank you guys. Uh, well, I mean, from <laughs> so, our from our listener question, we know we reached Georgia, and I imagine he's talking about Georgia, United States. Um, <laughs> but it's funny actually because that is my favorite of the U.S. accents. Really, mm. the Georgian accent. Oh, I love it. Fair Absolutely enough. Love it. I could listen to somebody I, with uh... a Georgian accent read from a phone book. <laughs> yes, uh, what uh, I was gonna say also that in fifth and sixth place, which is very close, uh, but it's. Uh, uh, but I think there there are some listeners there. There are uh, are continual listeners because they are increasing every every week, as I can see. The fifth place goes to the Kingdom of Netherlands with one point thirty six percent of the listenership. And in sixth place, anyone care to guess who's the sixth place? Germany. Nope. The Germans. No. No. UK. South Africa. Yes. United Kingdom. All right, yeah, it's, it's Dan Moss listening to all of our episodes three times. <laughs> <each>. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, sad that Norway and Denmark isn't even on the list, so uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, they're, they're on the list. They're brothers. on the list. They're just, they're just down there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they're somewhere, but but they're not uh, active listeners to the show, unfortunately. We need to make a marketing plan for the Scandinavian. They're all, <laughs> they're all using VPNs and rerouting through the United States. Yeah, that's probably, probably it. That's probably it. Yeah, everyone everyone's using a VPN. It's probably a smart thing. I, to I do mean, too. I mean, Finland is in seventh place, and they're they're the Nordic uh, countries at least. So, hello, this Finland. Is true. They're very interesting axes. The Bill Nass yes, axe is a very interesting axe. I, I can yeah. never figure out whether I like it or not. <laughs> the, uh, the, but, the soccer uh, the, the, uh, soccer. A, a, a lot of the... A lot of the... But, you know, that's a Swedish design also, you know. Is it? It's not just... Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think Bill Nass is... Uh, I don't know if... I don't... I'm not... I'm not gonna say it for sure, but, but I know I, the guy who runs Finnish Vintage Axes on uh, Instagram... Uh, a lot of the access he's showing is actually Swedish access. So Sweden right. and Finland have a lot in common when it comes to access. Oh, fair enough. That, that's that's God's honest truth. Yeah, no, I was, um, I, I'd only ever heard of the, the socketed axe heads being referred to as Finnish axes. So. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have one laying around at home, it's, and it's forged in Sweden around yeah, right. a, lot of, a lot of years ago, so. Fair enough. Yeah. Then again, All right, there are boys companies and girls. making American patent axes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, boys and girls, we are coming up on the hour mark. You know the drill. We're going to have to leave you, but we love you anyway. So and we'll be back next week. An, an, yeah, as always. Yeah. But if you want to send us an email, uh, ask a question, and we'll answer it in the podcast. Or if you want to come with suggestions on topics, subjects, so, um segments, whatever, uh, or guests, just send us an, an email at ask.forgecast at gmail.com. 
And you can find us on Instagram at the.forgecast, where you can also send us messages. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and you can also find my webpage, but I'm not going to give out the address yet, since it's not finished yet. Uh, you just search for Nils Ogren, basically. Where can you find Sam? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Etsy, and the Kitchen Sink. And you can find Alex at... Right behind you. <laughs> I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Etsy. Awesome. So until we hear from if you until you hear from us again, have a great week. Thanks guys. See ya. Bye.